everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? How? You guys, you guys seem pretty tired. You guys on break yet? Have you guys gone into Christmas break? Raise your hand if you have gone into Christmas break. All right. I know some of you haven't. Rest in peace. Sorry. I apologize for that. I do not miss those days, but enjoy them. Enjoy them while they're here. This morning, guys, I'm glad to be with you once more uh, for the conclusion of this series on the book of Habakkuk. Uh, If you've been with us so far, you've known that we've gone over the first two chapters here of this book, and throughout this book, we've seen uh, a back and forth between Habakkuk and God. God speaking to his prophet Habakkuk here. We find in chapter 1 that Habakkuk is the one that initiates this conversation, and he starts it by asking God, by speaking to God and asking him questions, right? Asking him why. Asking him why things are happening around him, why God for some reason has seemed to have allowed his people, the, the two remaining tribes in the southern part, um, specifically the, the north kingdoms or the north, northern tribes already have been taken captive. The two tribes in the south were giving in to their, their desires, evil and drifting away from God and He was asking him why he had allowed that to happen. Why was that happening to his people? Why God hadn't done anything? As as my good friend Jeff had just said back there, he might have been asking God as well, why do the wicked prosper? A question I find myself asking God this morning as well in some way. Uh, (laughs) But he asked God why these things are happening. And we find in chapter 2 that God answers him. Well, God answers and responds. uh, And in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 where we were last week, God, he answers this first question by letting him know and reminding him that he is in fact working. That he is moving, that he is doing things. Although he can't necessarily see it, he is moving. And as a matter of fact, he's going to do something that he would not believe. He is going to do something that people, that Habakkuk himself, could not imagine. God tells him that the Babylonians would take his people into captivity, and through them he would rebuke Judah. And of course, this led to Habakkuk having more questions. He was even more confused after hearing this, and he was wondering how that would even work, how that could even Uh, possibly be a solution to the problems that he was seeing in that day. And again, God had said, you wouldn't believe it in a way, and we see that directly afterwards how he doesn't. He doesn't understand. He doesn't uh, understand God's plan. And so he, again, he comes to God and he asks him again. He asks him questions in regards to his response. And last week in chapter 2 is kind of where we picked up on, and we see that despite his uncertainty, 
Despite not knowing why God had chose to use the Babylonians, he still trusted God. His faith did not change based on his circumstances, and it didn't change based on his uncertainty, the limited knowledge that he had. He trusted God, and he knew that he was in control. He lived by faith. He did not live by sight. He understood that as uh, one who is righteous, just, as a believer, that he is to live by faith. That is what we are commanded to do. And he had faith in God. And throughout the remainder of the chapter, we didn't necessarily go over this, but God, he starts to respond, and he starts to talk about these woes um, to the Babylonians. And again, you guys are more than welcome to go read that for yourselves. Uh, I encourage you guys to do so, uh, to, re- to read throughout uh, the book of Habakkuk, to look at chapter 2 it's in, in its entirety. But just to surmise what's happening here, God is talking about certain things that will bring trouble and misery upon the Babylonians. And he reminds Habakkuk once again that he is in control. He will have the final say, and his glory will be throughout the entire earth. It will fill the earth, and they, they will be rebuked as well. The Babylonians will be held accountable, although, although it may take some time. It won't be overnight, right? Jesus, oh, in God in this uh, response, he's saying, listen, it may linger. Here's what I'm going to do, but it's not going to be necessarily when you want it to happen, but wait on me. We talked about last week how during times when we are waiting on God, it can be difficult. Sometimes we have those questions and we ask God why. And when we hear the response, when we get the response, or we're waiting on the response, that waiting can be difficult for us to do. Sometimes we get impatient. Sometimes we get um, even more distressed. Right? We get Uh, We get this way because we want things in our own time. We want things done in our own ways. But Habakkuk here knew that God was in control, that he could wait on him, that he didn't have to know everything. But the God who he served, he does. And I want to remind us this morning that just because God doesn't answer you in your own way, it does not mean that he doesn't answer you anyway. He does. We have to wait. And he invites us to ask these questions. As we saw in chapter 1, we saw that the, the big idea, the theme of chapter 1 was why, right? Asking questions. God, he invites that. And that is his desire for you. He wants you to ask questions. When things happen, when you don't understand, as Habakkuk did in chapter 1 and continues to do throughout, he wants you to ask why. Like I said, it, it is his desire for you to do so. He knows you has a, he, that you have those questions, but he desires to hear from you. And when we ask these whys, while we, when we ask these questions, we have to be patient as well. We have to have the right perspective, and we have to be rooted in God's word and hide it in our hearts, hide it in our minds while we wait. And today, as we look at chapter 3, we see that this discourse, right, this conversation It comes to an end, and it comes to a close as we read Habakkuk's final response. 
And as we look at this last chapter, I want us to pay close attention once more at how Habakkuk, he models for us something that we often neglect or forget to do. Again, we've been looking at Habakkuk and his response throughout this entire process. You know, learning how to ask questions, learning to wait. Today, the big idea for us is worship. Worship, praising God. And this is a crucial part of that process in waiting for God, in trusting God. And we trust Him. Learning to have faith, worship is essential to that process. And so if you do have your Bibles, um, turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to bounce around just a little bit, but follow along with me if you will. We'll see that in the end of this book, we go from seeing the prophet Habakkuk having all of these questions and these concerns being confused to, in the end, being somebody of incredibly confident faith, somebody who trusts in God, and we even find him praising him. So today, as we talk about chapter 3, before we get into the first verse here, um, just want to once again kind of set the picture here for us. Right? Habakkuk, he is praising the Lord despite his circumstances. And we've already talked about his circumstances. We've talked about the context of this story. We understand why he's in the position that he is. And he knows what is to come having heard God's plan and what God intends to do. And yet, as we will see in chapter 3, he finds joy in the Lord. And the question for us is how can we do that? How can we praise God? How can we worship God? How can we find joy in the Lord despite knowing perhaps what's coming? Maybe not something that we want. Maybe something has happened and, and it's not good. How do we find joy? How can we praise God for his goodness? In 1851, there was an English missionary named Alan Gardner. And this man was shipwrecked with several other people on an uninhabited island in the southern uh, tip of South America. And according to church history, unfortunately, they began to die one after the other. And to the best of their ability, um, they've surmised included that Alan, Alan Gardner, he was the final one to die. He was the final person to survive and pass away after that shipwreck. And when they found their bodies, when they found and located Alan Gardner specifically, they found next to him a journal in which he had been writing it. He has been documenting what is going on. And when they opened his journal, and they looked at the end of his journal, his, um, his last journal entry, if you could say, there was a quote from Psalm 34. It was verse 10, and this is what it says. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And if you continue to read that journal entry, the last thing he ever wrote while he was here on earth, in his journal, as he is looking at the death around him, as he knows he is going to die, as he understands that he will never see his family again, so he knows that he'll never actually fulfill his calling to be a missionary. 
As he's dying of starvation, he writes this. I am overwhelmed with the goodness of God. Oftentimes when we reflect on the goodness of God, we think about the good things that are happening in our lives. I think it's natural for us to do that. For example, I've talked about my experiences while I'm driving here already. Um, and some of the silly things that we do is like, for example, if you're late to get somewhere, especially in the morning and you're driving to work or you guys are driving to school and you're driving and you're, on, you're in a hurry and all the lights are green, man, there's no better feeling. Sometimes you'd be tempted, oh man, the Lord's on my side today, man. God is good. Look at this. Thank you, God. Praise God. All the lights are green on my way to work, on my way to school, whatever. I'm not going to be late. That's great. And that's just one example. We do different things like that. Like I said, it's natural for us to take the good things that are happening in our lives, even the minor things like that, and we take those things, and through those things we infer, we conclude that God is being good to us. I think that's natural, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. That's not necessarily a wrong thing to do, and there's truth in those things. But let me ask you this. What happens when everything goes wrong? Does that then mean that if nothing good is happening in our lives, that God is not good to us? There's nothing good that's happening. Has God all of a sudden become something that is not good? Is, is he no longer good to you? Because in this example, again, when we look at Habakkuk, when we look at his situation, when we look at the circumstances he finds himself in, and we look at Alan Garner, this missionary who was shipwrecked, there's nothing good. There's nothing around them that would indicate that this could ever possibly be a good situation. And yet, when we look at this missionary, what he says is, I am overwhelmed by the goodness of God. How? Why is that possible? How can we do that? How can we also be so uh, directly connected to God's goodness that despite, of his, despite the circumstances that we may face, despite what's going on in our lives, despite what's happening not only in our lives directly, but in the lives surrounding our lives, how can we still praise God? How can we still praise him despite of our circumstances? That is what we want to look at today. So again, if you have your Bibles, look at verse 18 first and foremost with me, if you will, in chapter 3 of Habakkuk. The first thing I want to say this morning, the first point I want to make in worshiping God, in praising God for the good God that he is, is this. We must... Get in a habit of repeating. Repetition. Repetition is necessary for us. If you look at verse 18, it says this, right? It says, I will rejoice. I will take joy. Let me ask you this. God bless you. Let me ask you this. I'm going to ask you a question, and I need you to raise your hand, and then I'll follow you up with another question. What is something that you're good at? And listen, Say, you can respond with some humility, but also 
I'm sure that you guys are good at different things and you guys enjoy different things. So be honest. If, if I ask you, what is something that you would say you are good at? What are you good at? Four-wheelers. Awesome. Now let me ask you, how many, how many years have you been riding four-wheelers? Since you were three. And how old are you now? Fifteen. It's 12 years. Anybody else? Something that you're good at. What is something you're good at? Nobody's good at anything here? Man, that's shocking. Chase, what are you good at? <laughs> All right, you get back to me. What is something you're good at? Yes. Public speaking. Have you had the opportunity to do some, a good amount of public speaking? Yeah, how long have you how long have you liked doing that? Well, I've been using theater for like five years. Since I was in fifth grade. Fifth grade? And you're a senior now. So quite some time. Anybody else? One more. Carpet ball. Carpet ball. And you've been playing carpet ball since day one every single day. I know that. I see you in there. My point is this. Repetition is normal for us. And in order to be good at something, in order to make a habit out of something, you have to do it over and over again, no? I didn't ask anybody here, how, are you good at something? And they responded with yes. And when did you start? Yesterday. Just, I mean, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but if I ask you if you're good at something and you say you started yesterday, you're probably not that good at it. Because to be good at something, you repeat it. You get in a habit of repetition. You keep doing it. Look at me, uh, look at first one, uh, if you would, here as well. In verse one, we see that Habakkuk is again praying. Habakkuk, time and time again, he prays, and praying is a habit. It's something that he does without ceasing. He does repeatedly. Here, Habakkuk has heard of God's fame. He's heard of who God is. He knows how God has provided in the past, and he's heard all about his great works, and so he is asking in the same way here that God would again appear and work in his day during his time. He's pleading, he is urging God to show up as he had done so before. And as he's working and moving in his generation, he is asking and pleading for mercy. He is again praying. Time and time again, he prays. He makes a habit out of it. Repetition is crucial for us. And even the gospel is repeated several times, and it lays that out for us. Right? The gospel accounts, there's four different, one, uh, different accounts of Jesus from different perspectives. And each time we read a new account of Jesus and his ministry and his time here on earth, we gain more insight. We have a better understanding of who he is. It's repeated. Repetition is necessary for us because we work through habit. So make a habit of praying as well, like Habakkuk. Make a habit of reading God's word, of understanding who he is. How can we praise somebody that we don't know? 
Habakkuk, he knew these things because he listened, he read. And he could account and look back on those things fondly and remember them only because he made it a habit, a priority for him to know who God is. And so we have to repeat those things as well, make a habit of those things if we are to worship God and praise him in this manner. Next thing he did, as I had just mentioned, he remembers. Remembering for us is something that we do when we worship God and and when we praise him. If you look at the next couple of verses here as we go through chapter 3, Habakkuk, he's going to go to great lengths at looking at some of the history of God's people, remembering what God had already done for them. And if you look at verse 3 all the way down to uh, verse 12, he he goes down memory lane. I'm going to read it here for us, and you can follow along. It will also be on the screen. This is what it said. God came from uh, Teman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the, the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed his heel. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode your horses on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth from rivers. The mountains saw you and and writhed. The raging waters swept on, and the deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. He's saying here, a few different things. He is talking about that on these mountains, God appeared and he revealed himself. He's saying that when they were in Egypt, in slavery, in bondage, through the plagues, he made it so that they were free from those things. The Red Sea, following that, subsequently after they fled and were able to leave, at the Red Sea, it felt as though they were trapped, and yet God provided again, and he parted the sea for them. Despite their rebellion, he led them to the Jordan River where he once again parted away for them. God brought his people countless victories, and he even made the sun stand still. Habakkuk, he finds himself in a difficult situation here. Again, he knows what God intends to do. He knows what is to come. But he does not forget who God is is and what he has already done. Did not pretend that God wasn't good, that his circumstances were bigger than God. He didn't let his circumstances blind him of God's goodness and his faithfulness. Even if everybody else were to drift away from God, 
Even if God's people had abandoned him and had walked away from their faith, he chose to seek God. And he celebrated and worshiped him for all that he had already done and what he would still do. It's crazy how we forget sometimes, how we're so quick to forget. As a kid, and I'm sure you guys can relate to that, uh, to this to some extent, but I remember um, just walking through like malls and stores with my mom, and I would ask my mom to get me something, ask my mom for this, ask my mom for pretty much everything. And uh, my mom obviously lovingly would probably buy me a handful of things, right? You would go out shopping, your parents would buy you this, buy you that. But obviously, you know, you have to use some kind of um, rationale. But as a child, you don't necessarily think that way. And so you're asking for this, asking for that. And they give you this, give you that, and then you finally get somewhere and there's something a little bit too pricey and they just simply can't afford it or that's not something that you should have for whatever reason it is. They don't buy you those certain things. And I can't lie, there were a few times that I got upset. That I got upset that what I had asked my parents, they did not get me. Having just forgotten that I had five bags of things that they just had bought for me. I don't know if you guys have been through anything like that, but even more so than that, unfortunately, we make the mistake of also forgetting God's goodness for us in a much larger scale. We forget how faithful he's been with us. We don't, go at the, we don't go to the lengths like Habakkuk has done here in recounting everything that God has done for us in thinking back on how he has been good with us, how he has been faithful with us, how we've been in situations and circumstances before and he has brought us out of those places. We've, we've grown from those experiences and yet every time seemingly when we get in that position once more, we make the mistake of forgetting how good he is. If you look at verse 13, Habakkuk, he didn't forget that, and he knew who God was. He knew what he had done, what he would do. And verse 13 says, you went, out of, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. God cares for us. He provides for us. He loves us and he pursues us. He is our rescuer, our savior. He sent his son for us to pay the debt that we could never pay ourselves. What love is greater than that? And yet we forget we dismiss these things. We neglect these things. And we don't stop to worship him or praise him for these things. We don't pause and reflect. If you look at the word that you see at the end of verse 13 there, it's selah. Selah is something that comes up quite often in Scripture. And we see it here quite a bit as well. But this is a musical term. And again, this means to pause. But... You can also use it 
theologically, and it would mean to reflect, to stop, to meditate, to refresh, to exalt, and to lift up. He's writing this here, and I think that we should, we should take some time as well in our day, and especially in times that we are waiting and, and going through these things and, and in circumstances like this to meditate, to think about and reflect on God's goodness, to exalt Him, to be reminded of His faithfulness and His goodness, and not just what He's done, but who He is. Again, we said this is the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He does not change. His faithfulness that we read about and that we see in Scripture and in our own lives, that is the same God today. It will be the same God tomorrow and the day after that. So I think one of the ways that we can get in touch with the goodness of God is to look at not what's going on in the exact moments of our lives, right, when, when things are good, um, but instead to look back on the things he's already done. Look back at Scripture and see who he is. Remember. Remembering is important as we look to worship and praise God for who he is. And lastly, as we turn to verse 17, the word here is rejoicing. Rejoice. Praise him, in other words. Let me read for us here uh, verses 17, uh, 17 through 18. This is what it says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in God, in the God of my salvation. Here, as we've just read, Habakkuk is imagining the worst case scenario, or case scenario, however you want to say that. Um, he is picturing here what would happen when the Babylonians would come. And he's saying, right, no figs on the fig tree, there's no olives, no grapes on the vine. Right? What he is describing here is almost like what you would see as a result of a famine. He's saying in this economy, specifically in Israel, an ancient society like this, if these things were to happen, if you were to have no crops, no uh, fruit, right, your fields would yield nothing, there would be no uh, sheep or animals in your pen, if that were the case, this would be a dire situation, right? This is, they're pretty much plagued by death in this case. And what he's saying here is literally... The worst case scenario. And yet, he says something here. He says, in essence, that even if he lost everything, he would still choose to rejoice in the Lord. Now listen, I don't know what your whys are. I don't know what the questions you have are. I don't know what you've lost. I don't know what you're going through in detail. But I do know one thing, that God, God is still there. The question is, though, are you willing to entrust him with everything, with the end result, 
with what's to come. You know, God, I, I, I don't know why this is happening. Why things are going on in my life. Why this happened to someone. Why this is happening to me. Why this is going to happen. Why you chose to do it this way. I can't understand, but I trust you. I trust you. Habakkuk here, he makes two decisions. He chooses to rejoice in the Lord and in the joy of our salvation. That decision doesn't mean that we aren't affected by the things that happen in our lives. We don't have to be mechanical. Um, We don't have to pretend like there's nothing wrong. We can't, you know, dismiss the things that we feel, the reality of our lives. The truth is, right, that we are affected by those things. However, ultimately, we find our strength in the Lord. Despite being affected by those things, right? I'm not asking you to, I'm not asking you to pretend like there's nothing wrong. It's not what he is saying here. He's not telling him back, hey, don't worry about those things. Forget about them. There's nothing really bad that's going on. Hey, forget it. No, we can't pretend or dismiss. Like I said in the first part of the series, there are realities to things in our lives and in the lives of other people that we don't just dismiss. We have to embrace them and understand those things are real, and they happen, and people hurt. And sometimes there is pain that we endure, and those things are okay. It's all right for us to feel these way, uh, this way. I'm not asking you to deny the problems you face. Imagine that they're not there. We're not commanded to pick up God's word and just pick a verse and read it over and over and over again and force ourselves to be okay, to pretend, again, that there are no difficult circumstances in life because there are. What he does here, and what I think is important for us to remember, so be reminded what we are in those situations, when we are in circumstances like that, that we don't try to do it out of our own strength, to do it alone, to walk away from God. When we face questions like that, when we have problems in our lives, when we go through situations and feelings, we should do that alongside God, with God the Lord, and not running away from him. Sometimes, like I said, again, in in our first series, we look at the wrong things. We run to idols, different people, and we try to find answers and solutions in those things, but those things won't bring us any joy. They can't bring us this, this peace that is beyond our understanding that allows us and enables us to turn from a negative and awful situation and praise God and worship him. Joyful, right? Being joyful is not because we don't have problems. We can be joyful because those problems do not have control over us. That is why we can be joyful. That is why we can praise God. Because those problems, the things that we face, when we do find ourselves in those positions, those things don't define us. They don't consume you. 
God is in those circumstances, in those situations with you. He is in it with you, and he is above it all. And will you worship him for that? Will you praise him and acknowledge them? And if you lost everything, if you were in a dire situation like this, if you didn't have anything left, would you still choose to praise God? It's easier said than done, but would you? If you lost everything, like Job as well, would you trust God? Alan Gardner, the English missionary, he got in touch with God and who he is beyond just thinking about the good things that he had done. The reality of Alan's situation was that there were no good things happening. And sometimes that might be the case for us. We might have to endure some kind of trial or pain. We can't necessarily understand how anything good may come from it. But what Alan did was reflect and meditate on God's holiness. He looked and thought about his grace, his love for us, seen through his son, Jesus Christ. And he praised God. There's a man by the name of Tim Keller, and he said something regarding this. And he says, uh, well, he asks a question. The question I also want to ask us this morning, he says this, in our prayers, we regularly petition and confess our sins to God. But how often do you spend praising and rejoicing in God and who he is? And we pray a lot of the times we come to God and we ask, hey God, please do this in our lives. Hey, please do this. And we often, we often make the mistake in only coming to God when those situations arise. We come to him because we need something. We need him to do something in our lives. Right? Maybe in a situation like Habakkuk finds himself in. When things are difficult, we come to him. And we ask that he solve it for us. And if he does, then we walk away. And we forget God. And sometimes when he doesn't, we walk away from God. And I know you've heard this illustration, but we treat God sometimes like a vending machine, right? Where you pick and choose and you ask and you only take. But how much of your prayer is actually dedicated to praising him and what he's done in your life and who he is? I know it's polite etiquette, right? For when somebody does you a favor, what is your response? What do you typically say? Thank you, right? I want us to be real with ourselves. When was the last time that you thanked God for the things he's done for you? When you said thank you to God, have you ever said thank you to God? Have you ever praised him, worshiped him? Verse 19 is the last verse of the book of Habakkuk, and this is what he says. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on my high places. He's not saying here that he is going to change Habakkuk's situation. We don't find that in this text. We walk away and we leave this series understanding that the Lord never says that, hey, I'm going to take this from you. No, but we know that what's to come is inevitable and it lies ahead. Habakkuk knows that things will inherently get worse sooner rather than later. 
But he responds to his questions, and God brings him rest, brings him peace. Last week, we talked about giving, uh, understanding uh, what it means to wait, to have peace, to have the right perspective, to be rooted in God's word. He changes his praise. And as we process things, I think we have to do the same. Sometimes understand that things may get worse before they get better. However, we can't just jump from A to C. As we saw here, there's Habakkuk 1, 2, 3. It's not Habakkuk 3. Every single part of this was necessary to get Habakkuk to where he is now in the story. Understanding who God is and what he's done, understanding what he's going to do, having to ask those questions, having to wait on God to get to a place of worship. And God, he can do, as we've already seen in Habakkuk's life and perhaps even in our own lives, how he can use the entirety of this process for amazing things, how sometimes passions of ours come from these places of hurt and pain and anguish, and how he is able to use that for his glory. So again, as we conclude here, I want us to just recall everything that we've talked about so far, that we have to be able to get ourselves to a place where we can ask God questions that we may have. Because he desires to hear from you. He wants that. That is what he intends for us to do, to come to him when we are burdened. He wants to take that from you. He knows what is heavy on your heart already, but he desires to hear it from you. So come to God and ask questions. Respond in faith. Wait on him. You're not just waiting on somebody with this blind hope of potentially things getting better. Our hope is in God. And as we wait, worship him because he is good. I'll end with this last verse. It's 1 John 5 and 4. It says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The last chapter of Habakkuk is actually a song, and well, it was written and then uh, put to music, and people would sing this together. The last thing that you find in this book is, is a note that he writes at the very end. He says, to the choir master with string instruments, meaning, again, these words were set to music, and the people would sing this song. They would sing about what God had done. They would sing about how good God is, and that despite everything that they had lost or would potentially lose, that they would choose to trust him. This isn't just a Habakkuk thing. All of us go through this. All of us know the feeling that Habakkuk has faced and the people together saying these words. The same idea is true for us here. Let us encourage one another. Sometimes we go through things and we try to do it alone, but we don't have to. You have the people next to you. Sure, the people you're sitting next to this morning are your friends, people you can confide in, myself and the leaders. If there is something that is happening in your life that you're going through, 
and trust the people around you. And if, and if you notice it, love on each other. Love and, and encourage one another. As these people were doing, as they sang these words together and were able to encourage each other. But most importantly, not just us in this room, but never forget, do not forget that God is also there with you. Trust Him and have faith. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for um, the time that we've had together this morning to study your word, to look at the last chapter of Habakkuk, Lord. Thank you for um, just using this prophet to model for us what it looks like to trust in you, to be able to ask questions that we don't understand the answers. And when we perhaps hear the answer or we are waiting on your response, waiting for you to move, I pray that we would wait patiently with the right perspective and rooted in your word. And all the while, Lord, I pray that we would praise you for your goodness. Praise you despite the circumstances that we might find ourselves in. But praise you because you are good. And we can have joy in that fact, Lord. That you are holy. That you are loving. Thank you, Father. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, good morning and citizen.